The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. You know, as we come together this morning, it is, um, it's awesome to be able to continue walking together uh, down a journey, to see and to understand God's unfolding mystery, uh, that the beauty of the gospel message in the scriptures isn't found only in the book of the New Testament. But the only way to really understand much of the language of the New Testament, much of the imagery of the New Testament, even Christ who introduced himself as the Lamb of God and was introduced as the Lamb of God, takes on no meaning without the context of the Old Testament and especially of the Exodus events. And so we've been walking together over this last month or so of looking at redemption's journey of looking at how God is, pro, is moving and powerfully redeeming his people, uh, that it is a story that is bound in history. It actually took place. These are events that took place. And that we see, though, God moving and shaping and guiding. And it is a pattern, a broad pattern for our lives and for our understanding of salvation itself. That within this picture of Egypt and the people of God, the Hebrews, in bondage in Egypt, there is a broader representation, not an allegory, in that uh, an allegory would say that these events didn't have to happen or, or not historically, but we believe they did happen and know that they did. But they do have a picture of saying Egypt is, is death. Egypt is bondage to sin and death. Uh, that Egypt represents that within the life of the individual, all individuals. And that it's only by God's intervening into the life of those who are held within bondage to sin and death, those who are caught uh, in that grasp, that God enters in and he destroys uh, all of the power of the evil one who holds us in that. And through the power of his son, Christ, who was represented at the Passover meal, who was the Passover lamb, through God offering his own firstborn son as a substitution for us, that he required of Christ what should have been required of us, that we are covered by Christ's life, that we're covered by his sacrifice, and it's only then that we don't have to face the destroyer on our own, that we don't have to step out and face God on our own, because the reality is this, everyone will one day stand before the Lord. The scriptures are very clear that say it is a sign for every man to die and to be judged. And that we will stand before the Lord. And for many people, even some of you here, are standing before God based on your own merit, on your own righteousness, on your own goodness, on your work, hoping that the balance uh, would fall in your favor. That you'd look back and you'd say, well, I've been a pretty good person. And the reality is that all of us will stand, and only those who stand, covered by Christ, only those who stand and when God demands of us basically to say, okay, I need the record of your life. I need every thought, every word, uh, every emotion that you've had, every action that you've done, every action that you didn't do that you should have done. I need that record. And we hand him our notebook, which has full recording of the entirety of our life. And we hand it to him. And if we're covered by Christ, he opens it and sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. And so the exodus 
The story of the Exodus, the story of God's powerful deliverance within the nation of Israel is the same power of deliverance within the life of the individual. And so that's what I hope that you see, that you're, that you're picking up that common thread as God is moving. And today we're celebrating the ultimate Passover meal, that we have met the true lamb who was sacrificed on our behalf and will be coming to the table later in the service. But this morning in our time together, we're going to be looking at how does God, in the midst of this journey, guide and direct his people? There is a very common question that's asked, and it goes something like this, modified by individuals, but something like this, Pastor, how do I discern the will of God in my life? How do I know uh, what God wants me to do? How do I know what I should do uh, in my life? We're looking for divine guidance. We're looking for the Lord's leading within our lives. And this morning, we're going to to bring out four ways that God um, clarifies his or leads his people along. I'm indebted. I uh, was privileged enough many years ago to be under the teaching of John Piper when he taught on this. And I found some old notes and then looked up online to confirm that they were accurate. And he gives uh, four ways that God... Uh, gives guidance within the life of the individual. And we're going to use those words that he gives and then expound on them that God, by his decree, by his declaration, by his uh, discernment, uh, comes and gives us uh, these things and that we can see uh, by his direction as well that we can follow him. So with that in mind, let's listen to the word of the Lord. And we're highlighting God's people leaving Egypt and heading out on what is now known as the Exodus. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that by your spirit, you would bless the reading and hearing of your word, that we would submit ourselves to it, and that we would hear you, see you, and know your direction for our lives. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning in chapter 12, verse 33. This is after the Passover event and the 10th plague, which killed the firstborn of all of the people of Egypt. It says the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, For it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And then move with me into chapter 13, verse 17. 
And when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi Harhiroth before Migdal and the sea, and in front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. It's the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and the hearing. Of it. So before we jump in to those four D's of decree, of direction, of discernment, and of declaration, of seeking and knowing the will of the Lord, let me first give a very brief introduction on this idea and concept of wilderness. Because the next part, the rest of the story in Exodus is in a wilderness, that is in a desert. And it's important for us to understand the concept of what God is trying to teach us through the use of wilderness. We've talked about it and touched on it uh, in other sermons over the years, but let me just bring it to the forefront. The salient quality of a wilderness or a desert is that it cannot in and of itself sustain life. That if you find yourself in a desert, if you find yourself in a wilderness, you find yourself in a place where by its very qualities it cannot sustain your life. That there's not enough food to be gathered there in general. That there's not the opportunity uh, to grow food uh, there to sustain your life. And that's the quality of a wilderness. And so God is moving his people out from captivity into a wilderness experience, into a wilderness time. And it begs the question, why? Why does God so often within our lives, within the scriptures, does he declare and talk about this world and this life being a wilderness, being a desert? Why does he lead us so often in our lives into those places which, for lack of a better description, are deserts? You even refer to them at times in your life. Oh, I had a desert experience. Oh, I was having a wilderness experience uh, in my life. Well, here's the reason. God is trying to teach us that this world was never designed to sustain your life. This world was never designed to fulfill uh, who you are, to make you fully who you were designed to be. It wasn't designed to sustain your life. You can never cultivate enough nourishment within this world to sustain your being, to take care of your soul, to bring it to life. You can never work hard enough. You can never look good enough. Uh, You can never do enough. And he's regularly and constantly pointing that out. Why? To point us to him. To say, this life was never designed for that, but I am. 
I am designed. I am here. My very character and nature is here to sustain your life. You are, language used, something like this. You are sojourners in a foreign land. This isn't your home if you are a believer. That this world wasn't designed to give you life. And now all of you know that to be the case. You still may be living as if it's not the case, but deep down inside, there is, there is a resignation to that because you've demanded it. Think about your relationships. If you look at your relationships in marriage or in your family with your kids or kids with their parents or in your school relationships or just socially networked, however it is, if you are demanding life from that, it's destroying the person around you and destroying you because they can never give you life. They ultimately disappoint you. Have you ever been disappointed within the midst of an intimate relationship with another human being? Okay. Presbyterians, it's okay to raise your hand. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, anything weird's happening within you. You're simply answering a question. Non-Presbyterians, you can do this too. So has anybody been disappointed in any relationship within, uh, humanly speaking? Anybody? Okay. There you go. If that relationship was your life, meaning you said, I have to have the love of this person or else I'll die. I can never be truly happy in this world if, and you fill in the blank, I can never be truly happy if I don't have children. And then when you have children, do you know what you do? You destroy them because you're demanding life, your life from them. They were never designed to sustain the weight of your soul. They're a wonderful addition and a blessing in this world, but never the soul itself is the place that it's going to find its place there. Your spouse, you should look at your spouse uh, today and look at them and beg for forgiveness when you've said, I've demanded from you something that you were never designed to give me. That I've demanded from you life itself. And I've wounded you and I've cursed you in that way because when you failed to meet your obligations to me, I hated you. We do that. Think about your work. How many of you have been disappointed in work? Because you're thinking, if I just get this much stuff, if I just get this title, then I'll be happy. Happiness will come when I attain this. Happiness will come when I, and for our culture here, happiness will come when I've made enough to retire to Hilton Head. And into Bluffton. And you know what I find? A lot of people who are working incredibly hard not to be bored in their lives. Because what they found out about retirement, it can't sustain the weight of their soul. And God's trying to say in the midst of all of this, it never was designed to. Only I was designed to bear the weight of your soul. Only I was designed to find, uh, to give you true life. So quit demanding it from all of these other things and come to me and let me sustain you. And then you have the freedom to enjoy all these other things because you're demanding life from the place, the very source of life. We're trying to plug in nine volt batteries into a place that needs the cosmic eternal power of God to power it. And we wonder why they lose their ability in the day. So 
That's just a little primer on the wilderness. So we're in that context of the wilderness, that we're moving around through the wilderness and we're on our journey towards the promised land. God promised that he's taking us to the promised land, that he's moving us around and directing us to go to our ultimate home. For us, that place being heaven itself and then the new heaven and the new earth when Christ returns. So he's guiding and directing. So the question then becomes, how do we know God's voice? How can we seek or how can we find his divine guidance? Well, the first is by decree. By decree. God sovereignly decrees and designs circumstances so that we end up where he wants us to be, even if we don't have any conscious part in getting there. Another word for that would be providence. That God orchestrates all the things in life to guide and direct us. And here's an example. Joseph ended up uh, in Egypt, but not by his own will. Joseph, one of the patriarchs of the Hebrew nation, was thrown into captivity by his brothers, was betrayed by them, beaten by them, taken into captivity, and then sold into slavery in Egypt. And as a slave in Egypt, was used by God to come up into a place to be the prime minister, the right hand of Pharaoh himself. And in that, there was great famine in the land, and God used Joseph by no desire of his own mind you. He didn't wake up one morning and go, this seems like a great day to be betrayed by my brother, be betrayed by my brothers. I can't wait. I'm going to do everything in my power to get them to beat the stew out of me, throw me into a pit, find a Bedouin band of slave traders, sell me into trading, get me into Egypt so I can work my way up because I've heard uh, there's a wonderful professional development plan that begins as a slave. And then I can get on to the prime minister. I'm going to break right through the glass ceiling of all the slaves. And I'm going to get right there. That's my plan. No. But God, by decree, got Joseph into Egypt so that he could then take care of his father and his brothers and of the remnant of God's people. And that they would be there and they would prosper in Egypt for so many years. It was God's leading and directing. Paul and Silas ended up in a prison in Philippi by no design of their own. They didn't wake up and go, here's our evangelism plan today. Let's tick everybody off to the point where we get beaten and thrown into prison because we believe there's a jailer within the prison that we need to share the gospel with. And that we want to get to his family, so this is how we're going to do it. No, God, by his decree, moved and guided and had them in prison so that they would preach the gospel to the Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer would come to faith and through him that his family would come and be baptized and that the gospel would move through his family and that the gospel would spread out by God's decree and movement in and around. And now God's people here are moving out of Egypt. And it would seem, and I know you know your biblical uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, geography, and you would know that if the people left where they were leaving, that they would have gone straight north, uh, right along the Mediterranean coast, because that's the most direct route to get to the promised land. And that they would have headed right there, uh, and that it would have been about a two to three week journey. And you know that, and you're probably questioning when you read this chapter, and you went, I wonder why God directed them to go south and around and led them over towards the sea, the Red Sea, where now they were trapped. Now they were in a place where there was no escape route. Why didn't God just take them straight? And God said, here's the reason why I didn't take them straight. And I didn't explain it to everybody. But the reason is this, the Philistines, the Philistines were along that northern route. 
And they were a militarized people. They had a navy and they had a strong army. And they had guys who were kind of of the same ilk of this fellow that you'll meet later on in the story called Goliath. And that if my people went up that way, they would have been destroyed. Or at the very worst, they would have come and they would have been so disheartened that they would have headed back to Egypt and said, slave life is better than this. He said, so I'm not taking them that way. And you may say, oh, but it says that they were arrayed for battle. That actually the language there in the Hebrew says that they were in formation. It doesn't mean that they were arrayed for battle. It says that they were in formation and that they were moving out 600,000 plus kids over a million people plus livestock. And God directed them around and he moved them up to the Red Sea. And he directed by his decree to get them to a place so that he could show his glory to them one more time. That he could say, I had to get you to this place because it's at this place that Pharaoh is going to come and pursue. And that Pharaoh, we'll look at next week, was going to be destroyed and that the Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea would take place. And that the people would be redeemed and God would get all of the glory in the middle of it. Can you relate to the decrees of God? That's how God most often directs your life. It's by his decrees of moving You are where you are today, not simply by your decisions. You are where you are today by the movements of the hand of an eternal God over all of creation and moving you around and doing things. And sometimes, as someone said after the first service, they came, it's so much easier to understand God's will and God's guidance in retrospect. So look back and it'd be important for you maybe today or maybe this week to pause and to reflect on how God has moved and directed in your life. Here's a quick example. I've given it to you before. But when we were in the mountains, uh, our general contractor, this wonderful young man named John, recovering addict, slipped back into his addiction with crystal meth. He got up with his estranged wife, and we read in the paper uh, one morning that he had been charged with murder, and he and his wife were incarcerated. He had a lot of my money, and my basement hadn't been finished, And I didn't know what we were going to do. And John was put down in jail in Franklin, uh, North Carolina. And then the following week on Sunday, because I'm a pastor, one of his workers knew where I'd be and that my house would be unprotected, broke into our home and our barn and stole all of our power tools, stole everything that was left from John and his work because this guy figured he needed to get what was his. He deserved it. And so we filed a police report. And I remember standing in the barn just with tears in my eyes going, God, I don't get you. I just lost thousands of dollars in this project. Uh, I now have lost all my tools. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got a basement that's not finished and no money, and I'm not really getting you right now. I got a phone call a few days later from a very sweet woman who said, this is so-and-so, and my son is John. And John's in jail right now, and I read the police report that was in the local paper. And I can tell you who stole all your stuff. Here's his name, and here's his address. You can give it to the deputies, but that's not why I called. Why I called was because I'd love for you to go to jail and preach the gospel to my son. He's ruined his life. He will never get out of prison. And I would I wondered if you'd be willing to go tell him about Jesus down there. So I did. I had some wonderful meetings with John. And John, through the course of both our conversations and others, gave his life to Christ and is now a brother of ours. And we'll see John in heaven. I remember getting to church a couple of weeks later and some friends gathered outside of church and they had that little impish grin on like they were up to something. I didn't know what they were up to. 
And they took me over to one of their pickup trucks and he opened the back of his pickup truck and they had come together and they bought me all new power tools. And I remember it was so it was as if God was speaking and saying, Bill, I just needed to steal the tools for a little while so that it could get in the paper so that John's mom could get in touch with you so you could go down and share the gospel with this young man as he's incarcerated and so he could come and believe in me and that he would then now be in heaven forever with you and with the saints and I was going to get you tools. Relax. Every one of you has that kind of story of in the middle of God's hand and decree you wonder how it looks. And you wonder what's going on. But you can trust this about God. He always knows what's best for you. He always knows what's best for you. And he is always faithful to his children. So in the middle of that movement of life that we're all on right now. And you may be right in the middle of it wondering, God, why is this happening in my life? Know this. God always does what's best for you. And he's always faithful to you in the middle of that. Now, the other way, that's by his decree. And we're going to move pretty quickly through these. The other way that he works and speaks to us is by direction, by direction. We have decree and we have direction. Direction is this. It's simply what God does for us by giving us commands and teachings from the Bible. The easiest place to go for those is obviously the Ten Commandments, which are going to be coming very soon in the story of the Exodus. You can go to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus gave direction. He told, this is what you should do. Love your enemy. Serve in this way. Care for the poor and the brokenhearted. He gave direction. Paul, when he spoke, gave direction. But for you, O man... Pursue these things, godliness, righteousness, gentleness, self-control. Pursue these things, O man. And you can look in its clear direction from the Lord. And for the people of Israel of that day, he gave clear direction because his very presence was in front of them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. And he guided and directed. He said, this is the way you should go. Follow this. This is what you should do today. Follow me in this way. And so we cannot discount in the middle of God's overall decrees that he gives us very specific directions through his word. That's why we highlight this. That's why we say that this is the very God-breathed word inspired by him. And it is profitable for us to know it, to memorize it, to hide it in our hearts. I don't want you to have quiet times in Bible memorization programs just to have quiet times in Bible memorization programs. Because then you just check it off and you go, this will help me get into heaven. This will help me say to God on that day, why should I let you in? Well, I memorized the entire Bible, God. But what the Bible is for is to know, okay, what should I do? What does God say? He says this, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You shouldn't covet. You shouldn't lie. You should honor one day out of seven as a Sabbath rest. You should have no other gods before me. You should never take my name lightly. We think it's by, you say GD or you say uh, Jesus Christ, and that's that's taking God's name in vain. That's not it at all. Taking God's name in vain is taking it lightly as if it has no weight, 
And if you bear the name of Christ and you put on your little Facebook page or your Twitter feed or your Snapchats or whatever it is that you're putting on there that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, make sure that whatever else you put on that page doesn't take lightly those words. And that if we bear the name of Christ, we bear them well within the world. And so he's saying, I've given you very clear direction in that way for a young couple who before marriage has a relationship And I've had these couples before. Normally they have a wedding planned and it's somewhere down the road. And then I get a phone call or an email that says, hey, pastor, we're wondering if we can move that up to next week. I know what's happened. And they come to me and they say, I don't we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do with this baby. I said, well, let's go to God's word. Now, what you won't find in God's word is their names, the date or anything in particular that just happened to them, but what you will find is this, thou shalt not murder, that thou shalt do everything to promote life. And I knew you in your mother's womb before you were formed. I knew you before the foundations of the world. And you can say with incredible clarity to an individual, I know one thing that we're going to protect the life of that child. Now, everything else gets complex, but it's very clear on this one what we should do. And when you're so angry uh, at someone that you're ready to murder them, it's really easy to know what to do. Thou shalt not kill them. That's an easy one. It's very directive. So God still gives direction from his word. Now, the problem is most of us do this. We turn a blind eye. We go, I didn't know that. I I mean, I didn't. How did I know God was leading with the pillar of fire? I mean, I had my eyes closed the whole time. Well, that's no excuse. Just because you don't know God's word doesn't mean we're not held accountable to it. And so there's an encouragement that I have for you. Know his word. If you want to know the direction of God in your life, study his word. And it gives you some very clear directives in that. Husbands come to me regularly and go, I don't know how to love this woman that God's given me to marry. She's been driving me nuts for 32 years. Now, if you've been married 32 years, please, I'm not messing with you. Some wife just looked at her husband and said, did you talk to Bill? And uh, No, it wasn't you. It might have been, but... So here's what I can say to you, husbands. Here's how to love your wife. As Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5. And gave himself for her. That he died to his own rights. So that he could lift her up in that way. There's very clear directives in how we should do things. So there's decree. There's direction. Then there's discernment. That we need to, most of the decisions that we make are not spelled out specifically in the Bible. Discernment is how we follow God's leading through the process of spiritually sensitive application of the biblical truth to the particularities of our situation. You see, Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In that case, God does not declare a specific word about what to do, but his spirit shapes the mind and hearts and guides and directs us in this way. So then what we have to do, and I've got to be quick on this, is, again, I'll use the young couple as an illustration. A young couple I was just with this week and talking about doing their wedding coming up. I said, let me know where in the scriptures it told you directly to marry one another. And they said, it it didn't. I said, you'll never find each other's names in the scripture. I'm never going to look and find Lisa Burns Clary, my wife, uh, name listed in the scripture. So how did I know that I should marry her? It's through discernment. 
It's through taking and God's decrees of moving us around and having me from Charlotte and going around the world and coming to faith in his son and coming back to Charlotte and Lisa graduating from Clemson and having a degree and working in Charlotte and being at this same church where my dad just happened to be on staff. And so by God's decrees and his providence of moving, we bumped into one another and we met one another. And then we said, oh, hmm. Eh, not bad. Uh, and we thought, this is interesting. But then we had to take God's very clear direction and apply it to our relationship because it clearly says this, as a Christian, do not be unequally yoked. It says that you should marry a believer, a one who is also pursuing Christ, and as at the very core of their heart, uh, the God of the universe. And so we looked at those clear things in scripture and we said, okay, she meets this criteria. Awesome. Now, what should we do? Should we get married? Well, that's where discernment comes in. And we sought the advice and wisdom of others. We prayed and we were sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And we came and we said, we believe that God has brought us together, that we meet the biblical narrative, we meet the biblical direction that he's given us, and that we are going to get married. And we're confident in that. Discernment. Many of you need to develop discernment of slowing down. Of living life with other people where you can come to them and go, here's what I'm thinking, what do you think? Would you pray with me? Would you seek the Lord with me? Uh, Would you pause with me and see if this is the direction that the Lord would have us move in this way? Discernment. Because the scripture says that Christ says, I still speak and my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So whether you should go on that trip or take that job or marry that person or do this particular thing, my answer to you is most likely going to be, I don't know. I don't know. But let's start here. How has God got you to this point of decision? What does his word have to say about broad parameters within this decision? And we say, okay, now let's commit to pray. Let's commit to take this to the Lord and to seek his will and to see his hand move. And if we get a sense that it's the right thing to do, then we'll move forward on it. That's what we should do. Discernment is a maturing part. And the final part that I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on, but the final D of how God gives divine guidance is this. It's through declaration. An angel of the Lord in Acts 8 spoke directly to Philip saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then the, and he said to Philip later, go up and join this chariot that he spoke directly. And God spoke directly to Paul. He spoke directly to the apostles. He spoke directly to Moses. He spoke directly through the prophets. He does not speak in that same way and the same norm as today as he did then. And so it's incredibly important for you to hear that because there are churches all around the world that the pastor stands up in front in this pulpit, huh, in this place, and says this, the Lord told me to do this. When people come to me and they begin a conversation with this pastor, the Lord told me to do this. My response is always this, okay. And they get so frustrated with me what else am I supposed to say? The God of the universe obviously revealed himself to you, spoke divinely to you, authoritatively to you, uh, without mixture or without confusion, and he's spoken to you. I'm just supposed to say, okay. The better way to begin any conversation is this. I believe that the Lord is leading me to this decision. He's led me to this ministry. He's led me to this place, and I'm coming to you for counsel. I'm coming to you to see if we can come back to discernment. Be very careful of declaratives. 
Declaratives are dangerous. Some of the worst things in the world have been perpetrated by our church, not ours here, the church, from men and women standing up in front and said, thus said the Lord to me that we should eradicate all of the Jews in Europe, that I should have sex with the girls uh, in this congregation, uh, that I can have multiple wives, uh, that I can do this, that, or the other, or that you should pay me this amount, or that we can do this. Be very careful. And elders of the church, hear me very clearly. If I ever say that, call a congregational meeting immediately for the protection of this body and in your own lives. God very rarely speaks by declaration. He still may, but very rarely it's not the norm. So let's end with this. How does God lead you? Most often, he leads us by his decrees that he then gives us his, declara- his uh, direction through his word and that we seek discernment. Most people want to start with number four, and that's where we get messed up. Start with number three and move back. Discern God, pray, seek his word, and then see him moving in your life. Here's what I know today. He has you here. And I don't know why. But he has you here to introduce you to his son. I know that much. And for some of you, what you need to do today is repent of being your own God. And ask God to lead you out of and on the Exodus, to lead you out of Egypt and to come to life in him. And then to come and find Christ here. So this table is for us today. To come and to know this much about our God. When you're in the midst of questioning his will, never question his love. He said, I loved you so much that I sent my son to die for you. And that he's going to lead you along the way. And one day, we'll all have that retrospect of being able to look back and see it. Until then, we go by faith with what we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of this meal. Thank you for our time together and that we hear from you even still would you forgive us when we have resisted your decrees resented you questioned you deeply and profoundly we've neglected your word and we've gone straight to our own thoughts and desires and what we ultimately say at the end is this is what I declare instead of submitting ourselves and going Lord lead on O King eternal Father we praise you and we give you glory in Christ's name Amen.